Welcome to episode 14 of this Action RC podcast series, exploring the history of RC car racing in Australia. Looking through the eyes of the people who were there at favourite races, favourite cars and funny stories. Now, you will have noticed that you haven't heard the dulcet tones of Scott Guy, but never fear. In this episode, we have a treat for you. Not one guy, but two. Today, we'll be hearing from David, or Heavy D, as he's affectionately known, and the eldest son and regular host of this podcast, Scott, on their RC journeys. Apart from being avid racers at both the local and national level, they have contributed enormously to the, the development and community of the sport within Queensland. Without further ado, welcome Heavy and Scott. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. You better introduce yourself. You better say this is Chris Lander, guest host. Well, <laughs> guest host. You thank you, Scott, for the uh, fellow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Scott, for letting me do this. It's uh, no worries, yeah. and well deserved for both of you. I mean, you've you've contributed so much. So very pleased to be able to do this with both of you. Thanks, mate. Well, you you enjoy uh, taking control of the reins, and uh, I'll just sit back here and see if I can pick up some funny stories. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, so maybe start with uh, Dave. Tell tell us how the guy RC story began back in the days uh, in early Brisbane. Yeah, well, it wasn't actually Brisbane. It was actually Townsville, and uh, we happened to be up there on holidays. I think it was early '85, and at that stage. I knew nothing about RC. I'd never even heard about it. Heard about it, but Scott, unbeknown to me, had been reading some uh, information on it, and we were wandering through Kmart th this morning uh, in Townsville, and um, there was a pile of—I I don't know how high it was, but it was a fair pile of hotshot kits. The whole hotshot kit with the radio, the ACOM sticks and the battery and the charger, charge leads. And Scott said, we should get one of these, Dad. <laughs> and I, at, at the moment, just happened to have a bit, bit half a pocket full of money because I'd just sold a rally car. And uh, so I said, yeah, right, let's get one. So we did. And uh, that's where it all started. We thought, <laughs> I erroneously thought one car, a four kid <laughs> and me would be plenty. As it turned out, <laughs> as you all know, that's where the expenditure of $5 million went start <laughs> over the years. So we took the, we took the uh, hot shot home and over a couple of days, it took us a while to put it together because we knew nothing. And then we gave it its first test run out on the street. This is a bit of a story. <laughs> I went up the street and that was fine. Left, right, left, right, up the street turned around to come back towards me and obviously had no idea because and left turned turned into right and right turned into left, as you know, when it's coming towards you. So it went down the drain, straight down the drain <laughs> in the street. Fortunately, the twins were only little at that time, so we were able to lower one of them down into the drain to get the car back. So that's where we started. We started, uh, yeah. We started proving that I wasn't much of a driver, and I think Scott took over after that. Uh, yeah, that's that's just a testament to the value of pester power, really. So all the kids out there, just keep harassing your parents. Uh, until... <laughs> I think for me, the, the amazing thing about it was that, you know, we really didn't know anything about it. And while I'd been 
doing a bit of reading. I had no idea that racing was a thing. You know, I just thought we were going to get one of these cars to bash around the backyard. And uh, you know, when, when did you see your first racetrack? Well, that that same day, we called up one of the cousins who was who we were visiting in Townsville and said, "Hey, we've got this car. Come on over and have a play with us." And he said, "Hang on a minute. There's a racetrack like not five minutes from where you're staying. Uh, what is still the location of the Townsville RC Car Club?" At, at the Longtown Pool at Heatley, and so we packed up the car and went around there and, and um, went, oh, my gosh, wow. there's this one-tenth scale track. And and then when we came home to Brisbane from holidays, we then went looking, you know, to find out where were the racetracks in Brisbane, uh, you know, went to find hobby shops and, you know, it kind of went from there. What are your recollections of those uh, tracks in Brisbane in the early days? Uh, look, we started uh, at the Lota Club uh, down Bayside Conway. That was the club that was first recommended to us. We went hanging around in uh, hobby shops like Mr. Toys at Springwood and Gabba Hobbies in near the city and were recommended to go down there. So that was our club. Uh, that very quickly became our club. And some phenomenal people, you know, that were there, real family kind of atmosphere. Um, people like Kevin and Janice Sieb and Shane and Leanne Cow and Shane Kelly. Uh, a guy called Daniel Ng was the club champion. Barry Fry, who later on would be the president of Auckland Queensland, and his son Shannon, like just phenomenal people. And it was in that era, that 85 era, I think I've said this before, where, you know, I was racing junior four-wheel drive, which effectively was Formula Hotshot. You know, it was every 15-year-old kid with a hotshot in Brisbane was there. And the club was actually closed. The club closed its membership at one point because there were too many people and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't run a race with. Um, so that's kind of where we started. We had the hot shot. As Dad said, we were going to share that around. We are going to alternate, but uh, that didn't last. Uh, so we picked up a, a Harobo 44B that Dad was racing. I claimed the hot shot. Uh, a couple of my brothers were running grasshoppers in, in a pretty popular 380 class. And then we started to travel. So, you know, we started to run around to other, um, other tracks around the place. So Arana Hills was a really popular one. Uh, different location to where Pine Hills Dirt Racing is now. Um, Eagleby, Eckerbin, Lawton, Ipswich, um, you know, and then tracks out of Brisbane up on the Sunshine Coast. There were tracks Gold Coast, Toowoomba, uh, all over the southeast. You know, and some of those some of those clubs um, have sort of morphed and changed over the years, uh, but some of them obviously have have passed by. Um, so yeah, getting into that, getting into those early days of of. Uh, RC down at Loader was the place. Forward drive junior stock was the class for me for those first couple of years with that hot shot. And people that I would then race with for years and years, people like Chris White and Peter Scott were really active at that stage. And um, we would race together for years and years after that. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty active scene in Queensland over those first couple of years. Uh, we very, were involved. Very That's good. probably 80, 85, 86. Yeah, very good. How, how did your development go from there? I guess when I first met you, you, you were kind of an established, modified, probably racer. I don't really recall much before that. I never remember you racing stock. So how did you go from those early days at Lota, moving right up through the field? Yeah, we, um, I mean, we were, we were totally hooked because, like, you know, it, it didn't take long. And as Dad said, you know, he'd sold a rally car, so motorsport was in the blood. Um, you know, my, my dad's taught me many useful things, uh, Two of the best being once you've once you've gotten hold of a hamburger, don't put it down until it's finished. Uh, and and if it's got four wheels, it's meant to be raced. So you know that's that's been our family motto for my well, whole life. It's got four mm. wheels, it's meant to be raced. So so we were hooked. And four wheel drive stock, you know, I was running the hot shot. We played around with that car like everyone did back in the day. You know, we were 
building chassis out of three millimeter Lexan that we or polycarbonate that we bought from somewhere using bits of Meccano kind of toys to screw it all together, you know, putting extra shocks on, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, for me, I eventually wanted to try and move over to two-wheel drive. So uh, Dad had been running this Herobo 44B in four-wheel drive and he upgraded to the Mugen Bulldog, the, the fine car oh, that, wow. that was, and we butchered, we butchered that uh, 44B into a two-wheel drive and it was <laughs> it was as bad as you imagine it might have been. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> Uh, but then we moved on to it. I moved on to a secondhand RC10 um, and kind of started running two-wheel drive and started growing from there. I think in I think it's probably end of '87, start of '88. Um, there's a few guys around Queensland who started to say, "Let's get two-wheel drive modified going." There was no two-wheel drive modified yeah, right. before that point, or very very little. So you know, a few of us, you know, and I've already mentioned Chris White, Peter Scott, John Perkins, another one who yep, was around classic. those days said. Let's let's go race two and mod. So, '88 we raced two and modified together, um, all over the place really. And we had it was a good scene. Oh, I probably wasn't really up. I wasn't probably really up to it. You know, I hadn't been running that long, and I didn't. I, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. So. Cars cars weren't the same. Actually, but I think no. Well, that's true too. And the old the old secondhand RC10. Um, I'd seen better days before even I got my hands on it, let alone what I did. Actually, actually, just on that RC10, um, that was the uh, was that the six gear gearbox version of the RC10? Yeah, yeah, it was a six gear version, and we bought it in a box of secondhand cars and radios and parts, and it had all sorts of really interesting handmade chassis for it. And the one that I ended up running was a, probably three inches wide. It was just about as wide as the rear suspension mounts and the front suspension <laughs> mounts. And it, a piece of aluminium that was so thin and so flexible, you know, you could hold the car by the gearbox and just kind of literally <laughs> flap the front suspension up and down. It was terrible, terrible, <laughs> the things we did. Um, for me, development really happened uh, probably 1989. I, I kind of went, oh, I'm not up, I'm not really up to it. Um, went back to four drive stock and spent a year racing week in, week out, head to head with um, three guys who I particularly remember, Michael Keane, Doug Messenger, and Roger Lago, who still races Porsche Carrera Cup, I think, in Australia to, at this stage, like now, today. So the four of us and a bunch of others went head-to-head, like week in, week out, millimetres apart for you know for the best part of a year. And that's really where I learned. Oh, very um, good. You know, I learned, I learned to race. Yeah, and then we went to the worlds. So we went to the worlds in '89 in Sydney to watch, to spectate, um, and two-wheel drive modified bit bit me again, and I went, "Oh, that's it! You know, I'm, I'm, now I have to go back to two-wheel mod." Um, and uh, my dad had just bought himself a, a brand new Losi JRX2 short wheelbase, five link, his first new car that he'd ever had, um, and I went, uh, "Dad." <laughs> can I have the JRX2? <laughs> I'll swap you. You can have my Yokomo and go run forward off stock, and I'll go to two-wheel modified. And really, that's you know that. And from then on, it's just been you know it's been modified. So that's the end of '89, start of 1990. Kind of. Yeah, so I don't good. know when you came along. Probably a few years after that. Yeah, probably '90, '91-ish. I guess '90-91, maybe at Pine Hills, yeah. out behind the old uh, squash yeah. courts, and on the oils track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's been some fun stories from that track over, the, yes. over those few years. Yes. Uh, 
So tell me, you're, Scott, you're known really around the traps as Mr. Shoemaker. Where did the Shoemaker story start? Oh, that's probably a couple of years later, actually. So we we first travelled, um, like through 1990, I'd, I'd sort of, you know, really come to grips with it and um, started winning some races around Queensland. And we went to the Nationals in 91. Um, I was still running that LOSI, that long wheelbase JRX, oh, by that stage, a long wheelbase JRX2. Um, that was a fantastic car. I love that car. The five-link rear suspension, you know, just um, and and that trip to Canberra really hooked us in then to into kind of travelling um, and to trying to say, you know, can we can we first of all can we just go and travel and have fun and enjoy those phenomenal race meetings that you know, and I think everyone should be racing at things like national titles, whether you win or lose. It, they're just fantastic experiences. Yeah, so we were kind of hooked on that, um, but then went, you know. I, I was, I, mean, I didn't make a final at Canberra, but I was in one of the one of the top heats in one of the regrades. So I got to stand on the driver's stand with just the superstars of the sport, you know, of, of that day, Rick Bartolosi, Reese Bertles, Darren Campbell, Greg Brooks, you know, just on and on and on. Um, and so we were hooked and, you know, and then wanted to go, all right, well, can we make it? And so went, went uh, sort of looking for a little bit of support to try and uh, probably the thing... The other thing I really realised at that Nationals in 91 is that um, in Queensland, we all just raced one class. Like everyone just had one car and that's it. You know, So you, if you were a two-wheel drive racer, that's what you raced. At Canberra, we kind of realised that if you want to be at the front, in Modified especially, you just can't show up and just do one day. You've got to be running every day um, yep. for the track time and the experience. And yep. So we kind of went looking for some help with a four-wheel drive and, you know, and Shoemaker through. Uh, Colin Granager, the pit stop uh, hobbies, the Australian importer, said, "Yeah, we can we can help you with a pro cap." Um, and it, you know, so that was the first kind of. That's probably the end of middle towards the end of '91, um, and probably only six months after that, um, Shoemaker decided to reshape their team in Australia um, and to put together a team of six. I think it was, if, if my memory serves, that would be um, kind of factory supported, and I just was. Very fortunate, you know, to be one of those, along with people like Chris Primer and Grant, uh, yeah, Grant Serrano, I think it was in Victoria, and um, Simon Cavalieri, South Australia. There was a team of six of us. Yeah, it's pretty, some pretty good names there. And yeah, uh, and that's so that's probably, you know, to, I guess probably towards the end of '92. Um, must be before the end of '92 because we ran the Shoei cars at the New South yeah, Wales yep. at Newcastle in '92. Yes, 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 um, and then Illawarra '93. Yep. Yeah. And then Illawarra ninety three, so maybe yep. it was the middle of ninety two. That so yep. they reset the team. I was just fortunate, you know, to be kind of around and um, and delighted to to kind of join that that team yeah. to work with Shoemaker direct with the factory. It was fantastic. What was that ProCat like after the other four wheel drives you had run? Uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't really run a kind of a, a any of the contemporaries. We we borrowed an old long wheelbase mid-optima to run at the 91 nationals and i think that car at that stage was you know it was superseded by the laser in 1989 so that car was probably three or four years old the one i ran so i didn't i didn't have a frame of reference um, so it was good um you know we built the car we raced it um, i think dad ran it a bit as well um and i didn't run that for very long before the boss cap came out so the boss cap so ProCat we only probably had for six months and then the Boss Cat came out in yep. sometime early. Yep. Uh, yeah, sometime in 92. And it was it was a good car, the Boss yeah, Cat okay. I really enjoyed. Um, and for a two-wheel drive, is that the Top Cat at that point? 
Was it straight into oh, the no, Cougar? Cougar 2. Cougar 2 is right. So, yeah. So we, we ran that Losi um, sometime after the Nationals in 91. I switched to an RC10 team car, the black chassis, the black yellow yep. chassis team car, and we ran that for until we started with Schumacher. So then it was a Cougar 2. Cougar 2. For a couple, couple of years until the 2000 series cars arrived in 93. Yep. Uh, very good. What was, what was your favourite uh, Schumacher and car? And the Storm. The, the Storm. Schumacher Storm. The Schumacher Storm. Was, was that the truck? The fine truck. Of, the truck. Yeah. yeah. That was the, the truck that was based on the right. Cougar 2. Uh, yes. And it was... We, we we managed to get some results out of that truck, but I'll never really know how because it was, you know, it was an interesting... It, it really was a parts bin special that Schumacher put together to say, let's have a truck. It was a... Uh, let's put big wheels on our two-wheel drive. Uh, almost national champion, so, that truck. <laughs> it was. That's, that's, that's yeah, a sore point, isn't it? Steve Perry uh, rubbing his hands with glee at that little yeah. comment. So 93 yeah. Nationals, so um, close. So close, so close. <laughs> yeah. For me, the I mean, you. I think you asked about the favorite, the favorite of the Ford of the Schumacher cars, and for me, it was the Cat Two Thousand. Um, yeah. So that's a car that we, uh, with the first one we built, actually, Dad built it. Um, they shipped it to us uh, just after the Worlds in '93. The Worlds were in Basildon. That's where the Cat Two Thousand was first run as a pre-production car, and they sent us a car. Uh, in a bag, in a garbage bag, basically. Every um, part. Every part just loose in a bag um, <laughs> with, with a one-page exploded diagram. Uh, as the, as the, this is kind of all, it's all pre-production stuff. Fact, so they sent it to a set of drivers. Driver. Yeah. And, and it, uh, it arrived the day before we went to St. Ives for the New South Wales titles in 1993. So. And we got it at St. Ives. Oh, we got it at St. Ives. On practice day it arrived. Practice day. Yeah. Nice. So, needless to say, we had to build it, but we didn't race it that way. Yes. Didn't get it for But that car really developed over that sort of 93, 94. And by the time we got to 95, uh, where the Nationals were held at Jimboomba, um, that car was, I felt like we had really got that car sorted. And I really loved racing it in sort of 94, 95. That was a phenomenal four drive car. Super easy to work on, you know, fast, really good in rough track just and reliable uh, compared to some of the other cars that were around at that stage and so that'd be the one you know that's the shimmy car that i loved the most um, from those years that we ran for, yeah very good. very good and what about the tool drives did you always feel that they were as, as competitive as say, uh, some of the american cars yeah it's i mean it's it's interesting isn't it because you know at that you'd say over that period so that's you know 90 two, three, four, five, that sort of period. You'd say the Losi was probably the, the pick of the two-wheel drives. Um, the team associated would win some races in the hands of some incredible drivers, both worldwide and in Australia. Um, but really, the Losi was the car, the Pro SE, and then the Double X, you know, what yep. a great car that was. Yep. And I'd say, I mean, I guess my assessment of it at the time and, and even now looking back was that when the conditions were right, the Cougar 2000 was a very fast car. But it, you know, it, we we were up against it against that Lacey, which was a phenomenal car, and in the hands of you know the guys I was racing week in week out, were just phenomenal drivers too. So it was um, when the tracks were smooth and grippy, the Cougar Two Thousand I thought was pretty amazing. Um, when they got slippery and rough, it was a little bit harder to keep up. It's kind of kind of Australian conditions. Whereas the Ford, 
Yeah, a little bit. And inter- the interesting thing, though, is that the four-drive was almost the opposite. So, mm, you know, definitely. when it was slippery and rough, the Cat 2000 was at its best. Um, yeah. You know, whereas when it was smooth and grippy, you'd say the, you know, the Yokomos of those times, the, mm. the Works 91, the 93 car, you know, they were really good when it was... This is my recollection. You know, it's 25 years ago, so who knows if I'm remembering it right. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was it was a great car, super fast, the, the two-wheel drive, but just, you know, you had to really work to get it in the window. Um, yeah. Where the Losi, as an outsider, just looked like it always worked. Um, looked like it just was a super easy car to drive and no matter the conditions, it looked like it, you know, you could just put on the track and get pretty close. Did you ever look at the Losi and think, I wish I had one of those? Uh, I, certainly the days when the track was rough and crappy and horrible <laughs> and I was, you know, spending spending all day chasing Darren Perry or Steve Perry or Keith Mackerel or, you know, any of the guys yeah. in, in, yeah. in Queensland kind of names. Um, and I did end up running a Losi for um, a year or so in 96, 97, the, the XCR. Um, which I'm not. I'm not sure if that was as, quite as good as the original Double X. You know, for its day, it, for its day, see, I was good, um, but I, I didn't. You know, I probably didn't. I didn't fall in love with it. It was good, but I didn't fall in love with it. No, very good, very good, excellent. So, how about we move on to heavy for a little bit? Um, so, Dave. In some of the previous podcasts, we've heard from guys like Andrew Gillett who's talked about his relationship with his dad and, and that father-son thing at the track. What's it like from a father's perspective going racing with not just Scott, but you also had Stephen with you as well? Tell us a little bit about that sort of uh, time. Yeah, we had uh, we had a good, we always had a good time. I mean, the first the first thing we decided when we started was we're going to make the cars good, so we always finish the races. And I, I think in all the time we've been in it, you probably count on one one hand the number of times we didn't finish. You know, so we got onto the reliability thing pretty early, and you had to build a pretty tough car for Stephen because <laughs> you know Stephen, Stephen would do would do the fastest lap in every race, <laughs> but he wouldn't necessarily. Sorry, Steve, I'm telling stories here. But, uh, he wouldn't necessarily do the most laps, but. Uh, Anyway, it was a good. We, it, I think that we had a good time, and the trips away were, were always good. Um, Scott and, and myself and Stephen. Uh, later years, Stephen Stephen didn't come, but um, it was always good. It was. I think it was. Yeah, it was an exceptional time. I wasn't an engineer by any means, and I didn't have the brains that some of the fathers have got about cars, but. We managed to build a pretty reliable car and, and Scott managed to get him going pretty fast. And uh, I suppose the, the thing that kept us back most of all, which a lot of people suffered from, was not having the not having the best batteries. Electric car racing, all about Yeah, batteries. it was different it was different era back then, wasn't it? it was, the batteries. It was, it was it was back then, yeah. It's not so much no, now because it's easy. Everyone's yeah. got good batteries yeah. now, but yeah. No, for sure. And how did, how did Jen feel about half her family disappearing every weekend to go and race model cars? Well, <laughs> I remember um, the first, when we first started, after a f- few weeks, I said, I'll have to get some new tyres for the hot shot because Scott needs. And she said, How often is this going to happen? <laughs> and I thought, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And if I probably, if I had known, we probably would have given up right there. And then. <laughs> the other little story about the hot shot, which I'd get onto before we go past that, is it used to go through gears a lot, and you had to go over to Gabba Hobbies and buy a gear bag for it every few weeks. And after I'd bought about five gear bags, Jonathan Borthwick said to me, why don't you just put a steel pinion in it and then you won't have any of these problems? I said, you could have told me that the first time I bought a gear bag. So we learned the value of throwing out to me an aluminium pinions as soon as you get them. And, uh, yeah. yeah. But as time went by, of course, we started, and really when Scott started running the Associated, we started not being able to buy the stuff that we wanted locally. And that's why we started Heavy's Hobbies, really, just to get some stuff for ourselves. Yeah, very good. We'll, we'll come back to Heavy's Hobbies. Associated. Yeah, no, very good. And we'll come back to Heavy's Hobbies a little bit yeah. later because we definitely want to talk about that because that, uh, yeah. that was key to lots of people's uh, start and enjoyment of the hobby. So, Dave, yeah, you yeah. you have contributed, I guess, enormously to Queensland racing through the administration of clubs and Walker, and I think later at Rorda, uh, as it turned out. Tell us how you got started in in your participation in the club scene, and 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 then uh, yeah, at Walker. Well, I guess it goes back to the car rallying days and the club motorsport that I'd been involved with all the years before that, and. You've got to put a bit in, you know. You've got to, you, you've got to put a bit back. Um, so when we started getting into this, and there was committee meetings and stuff, and then they started talking about Orker, I thought, well, we better, we, we better do our bit. So we started to to get into it, and as time went by, um, you know, it became more and more serious and. We still tried to get in there and uh, try and do it so that things would go the right in the right direction, sort of thing. I think that you know it's worth just no, no, naming, Dad, that you, you, your past experience in being involved in running car clubs and being a cam steward and all of that in the, you know, and running your own slot car track back in the '60s, all that kind of life oh, wow. experience yeah. that you'd had was really was really helpful around you know helping RC clubs that were trying to f sort of you know really build from the ground up and you've, you've been involved in a whole bunch of things that and those skills and experiences just contributed heaps. Yeah. And which, mostly it was okay. Yeah, which... Mostly the Orca jobs. Sorry. I was going to say, which, which clubs did you start with? Oh, we started Loder. Loder. Yep. And uh, after Loder got closed down by the police club, we moved around a bit. We tried to find a... We had a few starts at different places. We couldn't get a permanent... We couldn't get a permanent site and uh, we had the Mount Gravatt Showgrounds for a little while, both outdoors and it was an indoor track there as well. But eventually we moved to Jimboomba and joined the Jimboomba Club. So we were called the Nomads by that time because <laughs> we'd been moving around so much. And we moved to Jimboomba and started up with them and changed. they were called Jimboomba Chargers. And when we went there, the club's name was changed to the South Brisbane Chargers. Yeah. And it still exists as that. The Chargers is still going and they've got a beautiful track out at um, Carroll Park. 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 Yeah, the photos are terrific of that um, place. 
yeah. So they're still going. That's the original Jimboomba club that that's out there now, but they don't call it Jimboomba. They just call it Charger. Yeah, yeah? Not very good. I mean, um, so I've represented all those clubs all through that time, you know. And uh, Jimboomba, I used to do the race. The race organisation and calling and computer work and all that sort of stuff, with a team of uh, girls. They used to be called <laughs> Heavy's Harem. They used to be called. And, and uh, who was that? Kathy Lyons, Andrew's wife, and uh, Peter Scott's mum, I think, and yep. a few That's other right. a few other yeah. women that yes. used to come and give a hand. Um, they were all pretty good on the lap counting and all that sort of stuff. Yes, I recall a pretty good barbecue used to happen out there on a Saturday night as well. Yeah, we did have a good barbecue out there. Um, I think Bruce, um, Bruce, Lyon, uh, Bruce, Bruce Ward. Uh, Ward and some of those guys used to. Yeah, Bev and Colin Powell. Yeah, Colin and Bev, yeah. I think that, you know, Jim Boomba is another club like Loto like and like so many of the stories that we've encountered in this podcast, you know, the Sinaios being a good example, it was just a great family. Kind it was of, a you family know, There club, are a few yeah. critical families that were just, you know, just selflessly giving to the club and the sport and just, you know, they'd be the guys building the track, they'd be the guys doing the barbecue, that you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so the Powell family, people like Bruce Ward, you know, just um, were phenomenal in, in that club and its history. And, and I think they've been honoured as life members in the club in recognition of, you know, all that they brought to it over those years. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty fantastic atmosphere, wasn't it? Particularly the Saturday nights, we'd go out there and uh, I guess there was, I, I recall particularly, it used to sort of be that the Perry clan, the Guyatt clan, with all the hangers on around that. and there were, there were others obviously as well, but it was sort of, they were the battles and it was, you know, you guys racing modified flat out and the younger, younger guys racing stock, you know, trying to kill each other. And it was a... Uh, uh, good times, and then it was uh, particularly good then at the uh, the I think it was the Shell service station afterwards, uh, where the war stories were told. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've forgotten about the Shell service station. Yeah, I'm going to tell you my favourite. I'll tell you my favourite Jim Boomba story. It was a Saturday night, uh, and I don't know if you recall, Chris, but the starting grid used to be sort of tucked away down, sort of out of the light. It's oh, yes. The cars are almost in semi darkness down there. Yes, and uh, there was a few of us putting a the cars on the grid for four-wheel drive stock uh, for this particular race, and I think they were Shoemaker Boss Cats. And we discovered that there were three guys with Shoemaker Boss Cats, and we decided that we would switch the bodies around on the three cars, um, <laughs> unbeknownst to the drivers. So I think it was Dad, might have been Andrew Lyons and Bruce Ward, I think you, that's my memory of it. But we switched the bodies around, didn't tell them, of course, put them on the grid uh, in, the, in the appropriate spots for the body shells, and then, uh, you know, the hooter went off and these cars went off and people thought they were looking at their own car and thought they were driving their own car only for it to be, you know, doing donuts down against the fence at the bottom end of the paddock or whatever it was. And it was absolutely chaos <laughs> and hilariously funny. And you couldn't do that now, but, you know, in those days, four-wheel drive stock, 540 motors, they, they weren't fast enough to do much damage. And no. you know, we were killing ourselves laughing uh, while the three guys on the driver's stand tried to work out what on earth was going on. Yes. It was, it was a funny night. No, very good. So whilst we're on the topic of Jim Boomba, tell us about uh, the 1995 Nationals. I think you had a lot to do with that, Scott, and obviously Dave did. Uh, as probably the president of the club at the time, I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, you know, I guess like in those days, the Nationals uh, were on a sort of a roster, a roster rotating sort of a basis and it actually hadn't been hosted in Queensland since 1985. And 
it came kind of Queensland's turn and because we'd been traveling lots and you know we'd been to just a bunch of interstate races over those few years before that um, we were really keen to have a, a nationals at, at home and so we kind of got a bit of a crew together and you know said well you know can we make this happen so you know what was really wonderful about it was that we had but this great, a great team that put it together and a, and a real kind of division of labour, if you like. So, you know, we had uh, the, the club, the Jaboomba club guys said, yeah, we'll, we'll do the track and the facilities, you know, we'll do the barbecue and, you know, we'll make sure the track's right and all of that. So I didn't have to worry about that. You know, those guys just said, yep, we'll sort that. Um, we had, uh, you know, talk with Dad about being involved in race control. Dave Smith, we approached and said, you know, will you come and kind of do the race commentary for the weekend? And... So, you know, heavy got the hair together. So we had that you know, the race management part of it was was kind of, you know, and again, I didn't have to worry about that because that was just in great hands. Um, Dave Smith, again, was, you know, very generous and helped us with promotion and marketing and you know, getting all the kind of material together. And, and then I worked really closely with Barry Fry, is my memory of it, around, you know, just the kind of holding all the organisation together around that, going after, you know, the commercial side of things, sponsors those sorts of things, um, you know, and, they, and other people got involved. But we had a really solid team. From my point of view, the real blessing of it was that, you know, obviously I wanted to race. It was a pretty big deal to me. That was, you know, that was the time when... Yeah, it was kind of your, towards your peak, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, so, and the guys were fantastic and said, you know, so I did all my work in the kind of lead-up. And then when we got to the weekend, they were very gracious to me to say, well, you know, you go race now. Um, and we'll, you know, the, the teams, the, the various teams that we put together just did their things. And it's, you never can tell when it's an event at your home track. You can't tell how it's experienced by other people. But I, you know, I loved that event and um, I loved the racing. Um, and it, but I was really proud of the team and the club and, you know, the kind of just the, the fact that, it, you know, for the first time in 10 years, a club in Queensland and said, yeah, we'll have a crack at that and we'll try and put on a good event. Um, so it was a, it, it, you know, for me, it ranks as one of the real highlights of my time in RC was being involved in that, in the yeah. organising of that event and the hosting of it. Um, How many entries did we have, Scott? Oh, I think it was about two hundred and fifty. Um, is my yeah. memory uh, seven, probably seven classes, wasn't it? So two drive, four drive, stock mod, five forty, and uh, trucks was yeah. uh, in about its third year by then. Um, you know, and some extraordinary names. You know, and obviously the stories out of that event. Um, you know, Andrew Gillett uh, winning um, both two wheel drive and four drive modified. Uh, Steve Perry just missing out on a on a three peat in truck. Um, Chris, I think you were you were in the A final in two wheel stock. Is that yeah, right? I was third I third in two wheel stock. Uh, I think uh, third, Jason 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 Head Jason Jason Head won that one. Jason Head took the win. Yeah. yeah. So just you know, like from my point of view, again, you know, when you're on the inside, you can't always tell how it's experienced, but. Um, I loved the event. And, yeah. And I, 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 you know, it was, yeah. It was nice I, I recall it being well. a very well received event. I think you know, the Victorians travelled, the New South Wales guys travelled. It was mm -hmm. you know, virtually everyone was there. Um, and it was, that, it was that kind of period. It was one of those peaks of the sport. And uh, it, yeah. it, it all came together, a really well run event. I think there was a little bit of rain that sort of, uh, uh, you know, made virtually no dust yeah. and stuff like that. But we got away with it. It wasn't a Illawarra. We, we got away with it pretty, pretty easily in comparison. No. Um, it wasn't a mud fest, so yeah. No, it was good. It was a really, it was a good fun good. event. It was a good weekend. Super competitive. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, no, very good. 
All right, so we briefly mentioned before Heavy's Hobbies. So Dave, tell us a little bit more about how Heavy's Hobbies got started and the various evolutions of that. Yeah, well, as I said, we started it when Scott was running Associated. We couldn't buy uh, a lot of stuff because back then, a lot of the wholesalers would only sell to you if you had a shop front. And uh, we didn't have a shop front. Um, we just used to sell at the track. And uh, so, Eventually, we actually um, got uh, Mr. Bertles to sell us a few bits of associated stuff, which was very good of him. Um, but some of the other suppliers uh, came on board with us. Um, and uh, we, of course, at that time, around about that time, Greg Barkley was starting to, to sell some stuff and Greg Fisher, and they all were too, more than happy to supply us with stuff. So we managed to um, get going, and I suppose the biggest thing uh, that we sold back then was tyres. There was no control tyres back then. If you went to a race meet, I remember going to a race meet at Hawthorne. Remember that track? Yeah, it was a good track. Uh, next to the theatre down there. Yep. Yeah. I remember going down there for a for a state title or a, an inter club or something with a car absolutely full of tyres. <laughs> Because nobody knew, nobody knew what was going to work. It was going to work, no. And so they'd buy a set, of, they'd buy a set of tyres, and they'd come back later and buy something different. <laughs> so, you know, that's the way it was back then. We we tried to carry mostly the the um, the thing that we were guided by was we'll only buy and stock what we can use ourselves. We'll sell it, but you know, we don't want to be left with no. stuff that we can't use. So that yep. was the way we went. And uh, it went quite well. I ended up selling it in 98. And, uh, yeah, I did, got back into action. I see a few years later when nothing else was happening. Yeah. And obviously had gone uh, somewhere. And at one stage and, you um, did you did have a hole yeah. in the wall uh, opposite uh, Fairfield train station, I think. We did. Uh, we, we did. We we started that in 96 um, when I uh, finished work, finished my, my main job, and uh, we started that little shop there. And uh, we used to go over over the road to, to the, we had a little track on the, which was laid out by Barry Corf and John Borthwick for them to practice for one of the 12th scale worlds <laughs> that they were going to. It was the same layout, I think, as a, track they were going to race on, the 12th scale worlds. So we took it over and we used to race there every Tuesday night. It was good, the F1s. With Formula yeah, 1. The Formula 1s there. It's quite, quite a and, scene. Of... And it was just and just about the start of uh, scale touring cars as well. Yeah, that was probably the, the real, yeah, obviously electric, electric uh, on-road didn't have very much of a presence yeah. for a long time in Brisbane. I think it was the Fairfield thing that really started. To, that was the very beginning of electric on-road coming back. In yeah. Brisbane, yeah, and then we we also ran a Thursday night out at uh, Brendale for twelfth scale and tenth scale, the Pro Tens, and then the start of the uh, you know the the conversion of four wheel drive buggies into touring cars, super tourers we call super them, tourers. super tourers, yeah, that was yeah. around ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, I think there was a photo. There was a photo I think that Scott or someone put up recently on the Facebook where 
was a fight of one of the super tourers. And I, it did make me recall that Keith Mackerel had his Yokomo, which was virtually unbeatable out there. It was killer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. a lot of blokes running them. You know, the Perrys and and Scott, of course, and Leonard Lye and those sort of blokes. Probably. Andrew Lyons. Yes, yeah. I think it's it's um it's worth just um, commenting on on Keith. Are uh, you mentioning there, um, Chris? But he, you know, he um, gee, he was a driver that you know just came on so strongly through the middle nineties in yeah. Queensland. You know, he he kind of I think he was in in one or two of the finals at Jimboomba uh, in the Nationals, you know, picked up a New South Wales titles a year or two later and just was such a smooth, fast driver, you know, who was, um, yeah, who was always good to race with and, you know, certainly raced, you know, with a lot of different people over the years, but a couple of years went pretty hard head-to-head with, with Keith, in, particularly in four-wheel modified. Um, yes. I think what, what I, yeah, period. absolutely. What I recalled from Keith was, he put in a lot of work. He practiced a lot, and the more he practiced, the better and better he got. And like you say, he was super smooth. And being like that, you make very few mistakes. And he got fast with no mistakes, and he was super competitive at that point. So yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, and and by the way, he still is. And if he comes racing, and he doesn't race all the time, he might have six months off. But he comes back, and he's on the pace straight away. Yeah. Right now, yeah, you know, like in this current time. Yeah. Uh, very good. It does remind me of the days when we had time to practice when we were young fellas and we used to go to the track, you know, <laughs> apart from race meetings and practice. Remember those days? Uh, we we, we went to the track every this, weekend, didn't uh, we? Yeah. Well, when we first started, when we had that hot shot, uh, we actually took our lawnmower down to the local park down the road from us and mowed a track into the park, like, you know, set the lawnmower to its lowest height. We didn't ask anyone, didn't get permission. We just went and mowed this track into the into the park and so that there was almost no grass left and it would be every afternoon after school, charge a battery, you know, or two, take the cars down the track. Um, and we, I, I mean, I remember doing that for ages. Uh, maybe that's not accurate, but that's how I recall it. But certainly you have to put in those, that stage of your career, you've got to put the time into practicing uh, yes. in any way that you can. Yes. Very good. So Scott, We've talked with a lot. Yeah, you know, we've heard from a lot of people. And they talk about their, you know, the people they've hung out with and the relationships between them. But you also had a relationship with quite a lot of people who, where you were in a mentorship type position. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly Andrew Lyons, Murray Dowsett, probably Big Mac. Um, those guys. Tell us what it was like, sort of helping those guys get up to speed and be competitive. And in Murray's case, you know, to the point where he made a national uh, two drive modified final. Yeah, I think, um, mate. I think honestly. We, we love racing, right? Like, so, you know, I think you'll probably hear that from both Dad and I, that we love racing. And I always thought, and I still do, the more people that are racing, the more people are having fun, the more people that are competitive, the better, as far as I'm concerned. You know, if there's, if I can be in a race with 10 guys and they're all awesome, um, or 20 or 30 or 40, like, the more, the better. And so we were always, I guess we always felt like we could offer something once we had that experience. And uh, so, you know, Murray... Um, Murray, I went to school with his brother. So Murray was a couple of years younger. Graham was in my class at school. And so I knew Murray uh, a little bit through that. And when he said, hey, I want to I come racing, we went, well, no worries. Let's, you know, so let's help you figure out what cars to get. And then he and I would, you know, just spent days and days and days and days at the racetracks. And, you know, we'd be down there practicing. We'd be trying to, you know, scunge the keys off someone to go down <laughs> midweek and turn the lights on and practice and, and it really was, you know, I, like he 
was really committed to it. Um, he was quite different from me in that you know he was studying engineering at university, um, and so he had that kind of engineer's mind, and I I didn't have that. So he you know he pushed me just as much as I might have helped him. Mm. You know he was also helping and pushing me, and we, I mean we were inventing, uh, we we came up with a new way of mounting the wing directly onto the rear uprights to so that the downforce from a ten scale buggy would go through straight into the tyres and not through the suspension and, you know, built these kinds of things and, you know, just we had a great time, but, we, you know, Murray was really always kind of bringing his engineer's mind yeah. to it. So I, I that, think that's, that was helpful yeah. to me, but... That's an important point I think you make. And, and this I, was and all... Love... So I was going to say, this, this is the time before the internet. Like, you didn't have setup sheets in these early days. It was you, no, you had to engineer it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and so, yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's what we were doing, trying to make the cars better and faster. And and Murray started in stock, as everyone does, and, you know, at that stage I was racing modified. But um, probably by the time we got to about 1994, he'd moved into modified. I think he won the New South Wales titles in truck in 94. At we, won't, Coast we, won't, we won't mention that. 2000. We won't mention that. Uh, how'd that go for you, Chris? Uh, did yeah. that go all right for you, did it, mate? Yeah, we won't, we won't <laughs> talk about that. Um, Murray's still in the And, and you know, there were some races... There were some races in uh, 94, 95 where, you know, Murray, uh, I wasn't too happy because he started out qualifying me. And I was thinking, <laughs> this, is, this is not right. This is not how this goes. But it was fantastic. And you know, for yeah. him and I to stand side by side on the driver's stand in that two a modified final at Jim Boomba, um, you know, that was a real buzz. And, and interestingly, that right around that time was when we first started hanging out with Big Mac, with Grant McDonald, you know, and, and again, a friendship and a kind of racing relationship um, that would, that would go on for, for years after that, um, as Grant was getting started, you know. And so yeah. there's there's all I just think you know there's always people around who are getting started, and if you're a guy who knows your way around a racetrack, then you know it doesn't actually take all that much effort to to um, to kind of chip in and help the people around you um, learn their way and maybe avoid some of the mistakes that, that you might have made when you first started. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I loved it. And I loved hanging out with those guys, Andrew, Murray, Big Mac, you know, others. Eddie Vanderee was another um, young guy from mm. kind of around Jim Boomer days. And I love seeing those guys find their way and, you know, win races. Um, it, was, it was very cool. Uh, very good. So the name that came up before and one that's, I guess, did all our hearts is Dave Smith. Tell us both, uh, where did you first meet Dave Smith? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was... We went to the Nationals in 1991 in Canberra and we just went there wide-eyed. Like, you know, we had no idea. We'd, we'd never raced outside Queensland before. Oh, maybe once in, maybe once in Coffs Harbour at a kind of a regional thing. But he went to the Nationals and it was just this extraordinary experience. And Dave was on the microphone doing what Dave does. Um, you know, in those days, he was the commentator in Australia that, you know, that, that did the job the best. And out of that event also launched... Racing Lines magazine. So Racing Lines issue one, front cover, you know, is the is the Canberra 1991 Nationals and Darren Campbell, Michael Chard winning modified classes. And that, you know, that the magazine was born out of that event. And because we then met Dave in Canberra, we um, started to say, well, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could contribute some kind of stories from Queensland races. And um, so I started to do that. Chris White did a little bit of that as well. He was, you know, one of my 
compatriots in, in Tour de Modified raced also at that Nationals in 91. So he and I and others, um, and then Dad, you know, we started to just kind of send in just bits and pieces really from Queensland race meetings. Um, but then as we travelled, you know, we just got to know Dave better and better. And, you know, we went to some races at, at Bormac where he was involved and I went to a couple of race at Champions events there and, um, you know, just kept on kind of chipping in, um, chipping in the stories and the content and getting to know him a bit better. One of, I guess one yeah. of my, one of the things I love about RC, um, sorry, it's a bit philosophical now, but one of the things I love about it is that people can enjoy it in lots of different ways. Some people really love the mechanical challenge of, of RC of, you know, you could hear that in a guy like Ray Monday, you know, who just like knows the, the cars and the mechanics and the geometry, and, you know, just then, you know, other people love it because they love making the things look beautiful. They're painters, they're, they're artists. Other people just love the social side of it or the travel or, you know, the, the wheel to wheel competition. Um, for me, it's it's always been that wheel-to-wheel competition. I could care less about building cars. I don't enjoy that at all. It's a means to an end. It's the competition. <laughs> and the family, you know, travelling with Dad and Stephen over all those years. But the other part about it that I've always loved is the storytelling. So, you know, the, so we had a little magazine in Queensland back in the 80s called RC Driver Talk that, you know, two of the... Um, I was going to call them legends, but absolute personalities of the sport in Queensland. Graham Day and John Lowe um, ran this little magazine. Oh, yes, and, yes. And I got hooked into writing for that. And then later on, I you know, had kind of Jimboomba Club newsletters. And um, so for me, that, you know, part of how I've loved RC over years and years and years is the storytelling. And so, you know, when we met Dave and got to know him, the chance to then start to write for the magazine, just bits and pieces at first, but, you know, then later on, probably as, a, I guess, a staff kind of writer and, you know, doing more and more product reviews and race reports and a column for you know, quite a few years um, because of that that love for storytelling and Dave's just kind of open invitation to say, well, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to, what do you want to work on with me on the magazine? And, um, so I, I, that's how I, that's my story. I don't know, Dad, if you've got other records. Yeah, what, what, what do you recall, Dave? I, I, yeah, I, my, my recollection, my, one of my first recollections is we would turn up to race me in New South Wales and Dave would make a beeline for your hotel room where he would set up at the table and he would sit there and chat away to, to Heavy D and that was where he stayed. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that uh, Dave Smith did was he got me involved in the computer side of lap counting because uh, yep. he, he had the test package from Alleycat um, we were doing uh, testing of it for Ken Scully, and so I had to talk Orca Queensland into buying a computer because not everyone had a laptop back in those days, you know. <laughs> so they got this computer, and Barry Fry was the president of Orca at the time, and he got this big boxes made up, and they weighed an absolute ton to keep this computer safe from. So I had to have it in my car. So and we only had the one, so basically I had to run the race meets at every club when they were the bigger meets, you know, the interclubs and stuff. But Dave got me, you know, into that. Um, and he was, like, very helpful. In And he was kind of like, would ring up one night. You'd just be sitting there doing nothing and all of a sudden the phone would go to be Smithy and you'd know you were on the phone <laughs> for the next hour and a half. <laughs> but he was a great guy, like he was. He, he cared about... 
and he knew everyone. He did know everyone. He didn't have to be introduced to anyone twice. <laughs> he, he remembered them, you know, and he knew what they were up to. He knew everything about them. Like what a good commentator does has to know. He knew it, yep. you know, and Scott's the same he, when he does commentating. He knows the people and he knows what they're on about and what switches them. But one of the funniest stories, I, and one of the things I've always wanted to do. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> was, at, at the Central Coast. New South Wales Championships. New South Wales titles, yeah. Some year. The race control was under the driver's stand. And this bloke crashed and the marshal must have been a bit slow and he let fly with a lot of obscenities. And Dave Smith just got up off his chair, walked out the front of the driver's stand, looked up at the bloke, pointed and said, go home. <laughs> and the bloke did. <laughs> I can't even tell you who it was now, but he went home. Uh, I've always wanted to do that, but I've never had the chance. What a, what a race meeting. That was a great race meeting. That was really good. That was a good rough. race meeting. That was rough, wasn't it? It was definitely the track was rough. I mean, not the racing. Yeah. He's, I mean, Dave is a <laughs> look. He's he has always been an interesting, complex kind of character. Um, but certainly, you know, our like our interactions with him have, have been fantastic, and you know, we've spent a lot of time with him. As you say, you know, I'd be trying to build a car in the corner while he and Dad are kind of sitting around the dining room table in the in the motel room chattering away, or you know, we'd be in yes. some restaurant somewhere with you know whoever Dave's kind of got you know, brought over from overseas or whatever it is. So there's a lot of memories around those kinds of things. You know, the, for me, the one of the absolute racing highlights was to be invited by Dave and the club at Bormack to go and race in the Race of Champions in probably 94 and 95 and to, you know, to be at that event um, and to do that. I think we talked about that maybe with Lou Solar in episode one, that single lap qualifying yeah. with 200 people lining the track, just you and Dave Smith going nuts on the microphone and, um, you know, it was just, you know, so those kinds of moments and experiences that, um, that you know, were all the better for the fact that he was around um, and a part of making that stuff happen for us in our, in our time. Yeah. Uh, very good. So very briefly, then we got on to uh, you commentating, Scott. Tell us where that started and because uh, that really took off for a while. You were the voice of RC uh, before Chris Mitchell. Yeah, it's made it some, like, again, it comes back to that storytelling stuff. Like, you know, it is, I'm actually really introverted, but when you give me a microphone, I can't shut up. Um, and so and, and my, my experience as a racer is that events are always more fun and there's always more atmosphere when there's a really good commentator kind of doing their thing. And, you know, Dave was a good model of that. Keith Mackerel's another one who's really phenomenal on a microphone, you know, back in the yeah, day. Yeah, he was. Um, and so I, I guess I just... You know, I kind of saw how that was happening and saw that it was good and started sort of saying, well, you know, anytime anyone will let me let me do that, then I'll do it. Um, probably, I guess it it improved uh, a lot. In 2007, I moved to Tasmania uh, to live and um, uncovered a really fledgling RC scene there, just one little nitro club up in the north, no electric racing anywhere around the northern part of the state and got a few guys together and got a club up and running called Launceston RC. And That's right, I guess yeah. I, like I had the experience and, you know, most of those guys had never raced before. They were just a fantastic group of people. 
um, you know, who were just dead set keen, and I just had to kind of nudge them a little bit in the right direction. That because I had all that experience, I, I ended up being the guy who sat running the computer. And I, you know, for me, club racing is better if there's commentary. So you know, I would just spend every Thursday night, um, you know, in the shed at Launceston RC, running the computer, um, doing the commentary, telling the stories, you know. Um, and it, and it kind of went from there. Then I got involved in you know, commentary at bigger events, national titles and state titles and those sorts of things. Um, probably up until around maybe, I think the last one I did was a, a nationals round in actually in Tasmania in about 16 or 17, 2016, 2017, um, when I sort of realised that I really wanted to be out in the bush riding my mountain bike and not sitting on the side of the track towards the race, to be honest. Um, but I'd still, you know, if I was at the racetrack and someone said, Scott, here's a microphone, go for it, I would still would do it because I, you know, I love it. I enjoy telling the stories. Yep. And yes. my, my, just my experience is uh, it's, a, it's a better race meeting when there's um, someone yeah, who's sure. on a microphone um, and rightly or wrongly. Cause I think you did, um, yeah, because I think you did some Nitro Nationals in Brisbane. Um, yeah, we did. Definitely the state at Sunshine Coast. And- yep, yep. Done uh, electric off-road nationals at Chargers, a couple of nitro off-road nationals yep. and a big pro-line race when we had, I think it was uh, Adam Drake came out. Yeah, Adam and Mike Truey. Yeah, yeah, Adam Drake and Mike Truey. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. Scott McBride yeah, was that. Yeah, yeah so it's a fun thing to do. Um, I, the only part of it for me that I don't like is that you get, you know, the job of commentary gets conflated with the job of race director. And I just hate being the one who's on the microphone going, volunteer marshal needed on turn three. Come on, yes. guys. You know, that kind of, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to tell the stories. No, uh, no. But, uh, yeah, there's some phenomenal. Actually, thinking about that, probably one of the ones that, one of the ones that probably work best like that, I recall is when Jared Curry, I think, was running the race, when he was the race director and you were the commentator at Logan. Yeah. So that's probably one of those scenarios where it probably couldn't get two better people to uh, to be running the show. Yeah, Jared was fantastic right. to work with. And from my point of view, that's exactly how I would want it to be. That You know, you've got someone whose job is to run the event and that's what they do. And then my job was to just to yep. be the commentator and that's what I did. And you know, definitely that was fun. Yeah. It didn't always go well. Um, yep. I do recall commentating. I can't remember if it was a Queensland titles or a nationals at Miriam Vale um, in central Queensland. Um, you know, that club, that tiny little club that just used to put on that those phenomenal racetracks, you know, and out of which Chris Hartel yep. came to be national champion and Andy Castle. Yeah, Jason, Jason Dykoff. And, Jason yep. Dykoff, yeah. So we were up there running this event yep. and I, I wasn't racing but I was commentating and it was, a, it was a fight to the death on the last lap of one of the finals and in my head I'd done the calculation and thought these two guys who are head-to-head are not going to make it to the finish line. Um, they're going to, you know, the time's going to wrap before they get to the line. And so I'm like, yeah, it's a run to the line. It's going to be, you know, and they're like, and of course, I got it totally wrong and they crossed the line, uh, but they were listening to me, not the not the peepers on the computer. So they stopped because I'd said it's a run to the line. And then I'm like, oh, no, like it was, I could have, you know, the ground could have opened up and swallowed me. That's the one and only time I ever made that mistake uh, in all the races uh, I ever called, but that yes. was a shocker. Fortunately, it didn't affect the result. I think that might have been a Keith Mackerel win, actually. It might have been Keith and um, I don't know who it was anyway, but it was uh, one of those moments where the commentator should just shut up uh, for a minute and let the computer do the work. Very good. Right, so let's come probably close to the end of uh, my question. So I guess the normal standard question, first a heavy, favourite car and favourite track? 
Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, I think the, my favourite track is probably going to be Jim Boomba. I really loved it down there. And from a a, um, a work level sort of maintenance thing, it was a great track. We used to hose it in the afternoon at half past three or four o'clock and the track had just stayed brilliant all night. Yep. Uh, and I loved it. I did love it. <clears throat> and my favourite car, um, I'll go to on-road and I'll, I'll go a little bit later than the 80s and 90s, but one time at Landsborough, um, we had an inter-club or a state title and this was in the height of our shoemaker sales days. <clears throat> Excuse me. And eight out of the ten cars in the final for stock was the MI4. <laughs> I was ecstatic. I could hardly stand up. I was so excited. Eight, eight out of the ten wow. cars were Shoemaker MI4s. So that's my favourite car. I mean, I've still got one. Very uh, good. It's Yeah, that's it. That was, that was hey, Dave, while we're, while, while we're actually on your cars, I should also mention that you're, you still participate, I think, in the vintage scene out of Boondle. Can you tell us about some of the cars you're racing yeah. in? How, how do they compare? Like, I guess you still run modern cars occasionally as well. How do the vintage cars compare to the modern cars? Well, we don't actually race that the vintage cars that hard because the plastics are not as good. And they're not as strong, you know what I mean? And if you break a front arm, say, for example, you can't get another one in, yeah. in a lot of cases. Um, so, But we run the Riri cars, and that, you can run them pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, well, one of the cars I've got that I think is probably nearly competitive is the Double X. That's oh, not a shoemaker, by the way. What? But, Sacrilege. Yeah, <laughs> the Double X is still... The double X is still a pretty handy car. Yeah. Wherever you go to race, you know. But I, I was out at charges with a, with an SX, which is a 2008 model car. So it's not quite vintage, but it's getting on a bit. And uh, it belonged to Chris Sturdy originally. So for the final, I handed the transmitter to Chris and I said, "You want to drive your old car?" And he won the final. Now, <laughs> I know Chris is a pretty handy driver. Obviously, he's a he's a great driver. But at least the car. And he said exactly like Scott would say. He walked down off the steer the driver stand, handed me the transmitter, and said, "It needs more steering, Dave." <laughs> That's what Scott would say too. That was Scott's favourite words. <laughs> needs more steering, Dave. Very good. All right, Scott. The, the yeah. scene is pretty, is pretty good. Yeah, mate. I, I, um, yes. I always go four drive modified. You know, as a class, like was just a class that that I, I, you know, over all the classes I've ever raced, that's the class. And so I go to those cars. And I raced a double X four for a little while towards the end of when I was racing seriously, and that was really fun. But it is that, it's that Cat two thousand and the way we had it working um, in ninety four ninety five. You know, I just I really felt at one with that car and and. Um, just I've got one in pieces on my workbench at the moment actually that I just picked up recently to just have on the shelf and yeah. <laughs> nice. but, so that's the car that you know there's a lot of great cars that the JRX2 I talked about earlier the Double X4 race later a bunch of touring cars nitro off-road stuff 
yeah, much later, but that Cat 2000 is the car. Racetracks, for me, I always go to racetracks that have three dimensions, um, you know, in terms of being built on the side of a hill somewhere. Um, the tracks that are really flat just don't quite do it for me in the same way. So, uh, no. you know, in on-road, I'd think about something like Little Hampton in South Australia that um, I don't actually think I ever raced there, but I've spent a bit of time at the track shooting photos for racing lines and just thought it was a phenomenal piece of racetrack. Off-road wise, I, you know, I, my fond recollection is of the Newcastle 1992 New South Wales Championships, yep. you know, built on the yep. side of the velodrome and, you know, just big sweeping downhill turn one and, you know, just the way that that track worked with the kind of geography of the side of the hill that it was built on. Jim uh, Boom was a little bit similar in the sense that, you know, it played with the geography and you had the tree and all of those kind of famous features there, but that... <laughs> That Newcastle track, you know, whether it's that was the first place that I actually won a race at an interstate event, so you know, it's I remember it fondly probably for that moment, but as a racetrack, that the three dimensions that's the kind of racetrack I love, yeah, so yeah, that's that's where I, yeah, that's definitely up there, yeah, yeah, because that was that was the first away race meeting, I think, for Darren Perry, myself, and Murray Dowson yeah, as well. Yeah, so I think we've all got pretty right. fond memories and, and good results from that race meeting. Yeah. So it was a pretty special one to lots of us for that for that reason. So, yeah, and it um, came at that, at that really that's that time in Queensland where we had a bunch of guys starting to travel pretty regularly. That you know from sort of ninety one through, I guess ninety six ninety seven was when my involvement finished. But you know there was a whole bunch of us that travelled a lot over that period, and so we'd always have a, a group at those New South Wales and ACT and nationals. And, um, so it's a it's a good time in our memory because we had a great time together doing it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, just yeah. on one one point you noted then, and I thought about it a couple of times was back then people didn't really fly to race meetings. It was very rare for someone to fly. Uh, everyone drove. It was you know, those massive yeah. road trips all the time to get to somewhere, you know, Brisbane to Canberra, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, air travel. Well, not right at the moment, but up until you know current situation, air travel. <laughs> no. Has become so much cheaper relatively, um, you know. Whereas back in the yeah. day, so for Dad and for Dad and I to travel down there to a nationals, maybe with Stephen in the back seat or Murray with us, you know, it's much cheaper to, to jump in the car and drive than it is for three air, air fares and car hire. And especially seeing it was a company. That's car right. and they were the <laughs> thank you, thank you, company. Uh, oh, there's some stories from that company car too, but maybe that's another episode. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that it, travel was just a bit different. Flights were expensive. Uh, yes, and, and yes. as Dad said, he, look, here's the thing. Here's my last story. Murray and I went to the 1994 Nationals at Keilor in Melbourne. We had no idea what tyres were going to work. We were both running three classes each, and through the generosity of um, both Shoemaker, who was sponsoring us, and uh, John Keane, who ran a local business in Brisbane called Trackside Traders, um, we took with us over 100 pairs of tyres um, to get the three of the, the three cars each through that race meeting. And you can't do that on a plane, you know. But now, if if it's control tyre event, you know, you you go there knowing exactly what tyres you need, exactly what quantity. So there's a there's a there's a few elements, you know, that are just a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. Uh, not better. It's not better or worse. It's just different. Um, that that mean you. You know, flying and now I wouldn't, you know, I would fly if I could because I'm old and you know, it's just easier to fly. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> <Sure. that's it. laughs> no, 
Uh, very good. All right. Well, thank you both for agreeing to do this podcast tonight, and particularly to you, Scott, for letting me hijack your feed. Um, oh, and I really, uh, again, like to thank. But yeah, I'd like to thank both of you for your contribution to the sport. Uh, it's definitely made it a better, a better uh, experience for so many people. It's been it's been a, a heck of a ride, and you know, I'm not racing at the moment, but uh, you know I'd never say never. Um, and I still I enjoy the sport. I enjoy keeping in touch with it, and uh, even just to be able to do this podcast, you know, while we've all been in lockdown these last few months, has been a, a really fun thing to do. And I'm sure I'll be back at a racetrack, and you can't drag Dad away from racetracks. He's there every week. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, that's good fun. Chris, thank you. Um, Very good. Let me just let me. I'll I'll take the wheel back and just say thank you, uh, Mr. Chris Lander. <laughs> uh, this actually started when I uh, approached Chris and said, you know, could we do an episode together where we talked a little bit about your development? Uh, and you said, no, I refuse. But I'll take the wheel. So thank you for uh, for taking the wheel today. And uh, folks, just to give you a little update on the status of the podcast, we have grand plans to continue but we'll just be slowing down probably to an episode of fortnight now rather than weekly uh, that's predominantly to do with workload for me at, at the office at the moment um, but some some pretty interesting people uh, coming up that i'm looking forward to having a chat with so we'll be out and about a bit more with some more of these stories in this series looking back at the 80s and 90s and i hope as racing recommences around the country that we might be able to you know do a few episodes where we dig a little bit more into some modern day stuff as well um, talk to some of the guys that are running at the front of the field now uh, around the country in different classes. But that's the story for another day. Chris, thank you. Uh, Dad, David, Heavy, thank you. Folks, thanks for listening. <laughs> mm -hmm. Cheers. Yeah, good night.